श्री गुरु वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की गौर भक्तवृंद की गौर प्रेम सो गुड इवनिंग एवरीवन नाइस टू बी हियर अगेन इन हिल्सबरो विथ ऑल ऑफ यू एंड स्पीक अ लिटिल बिट टुनाइट अबाउट माय रीसेंट पब्लिकेशन व्हिच सम ऑफ यू हैव ऑलरेडी एक्वायर्ड एंड आर आर रीडिंग सम ऑफ यू रेज योर हैंड few of you okay <laughs> that's good so i hope you're finding it um more than interesting and inspiring helpful um the um the book may uh seem good to some of you who are reading it and i hope certainly that's the case but a part of the large part of the reason for that of course is that it it is a is a commentary on a book that's very very good and um some of you know me um a lot of people know me i guess but um in many years ago in when propots uh presence in his mission i was also well known and now after his departure somewhat well known as well um but it's really nothing um in terms of for example the extraordinary position of krishna's kaviraj goswami let me just um try to underscore that um of course i mentioned because he's the author of chaitanya charitamrita in my book uh, sacred preface is a commentary really on his auto commentary of his preface which would be perhaps an english uh, translation to the sanskrit term mangala charana hmm. probably translated in, in auspicious invocation it consists basically the mangala charana of prayers um there's some technical aspects to it it should include a a verse uh glorifying or giving namaskar to the this deity presiding over the book it should have a verse a namaskar verse it should have a vastanadesh verse a verse there that in a very kind of essential concise way i should say um explains the tatva of the book or the philosophical ground on which the book um in this case dances and um the mongala charan should also include a namaskar verse so namaskar excuse me an ashirvad verse ashirvad means to give blessings uh so kabirashko samis court included these um technical uh aspects of a mongala charan in his mongala charan he has two namaskar verses one the opening one in which he glorifies the five featured uh panchatattva five featured uh, divinity that uh, constitutes the uh, all that is required in order for the extraordinary dispensation of chaitanya mahaprabhu to be um extended to the uh, to the world and included in that 
Namaskar verse is also a the offering on the part of Krishna Kaviras Goswami of respects to the to the Guru Vande Gurun. We might have to talk about that. That's the first verse, and it's not been an important subject, of course. Vande Gurun Gurun is in the plural um, in his um, in his verse. And this is a verse that he com- com- composed himself. He was quite a scholar, Krishna Kaviras, and it's. Uh, Worth pointing out because his book is in Bengali, which is not the scholarly language of the time of the educated and religious, pious, spiritual people, rather Sanskrit was. But um, of course, what he did was take the Sanskrit writings of the Goswamis, the founding acharyas of the whole sampradaya, and translated the essence of it within the context of a narrative about the life of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu into the, the more common vernacular of the time, Bengali, kind of giving it to the to the general people. Uh, the Goswamis said that they didn't want to do that, but first you kind of have to get the educated people to take notice of you. So they wrote in Sanskrit and uh, tried to form, if you will, they were the architects of a whole lineage so if you're going to have a lineage, there are certain elements or ingredients that have to be in place if you're going to be taken seriously. So their writing, for example, the Goswami's writing, in terms of being the architects of the, of the lineage, it was, it was kind of, sometimes it's been referred to as a soft form of um, institution, institutionalizing. Hmm? I've likened it before, the uh, the persona and really ecstasy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that so much uh, defines his persona. There is no one person in the religious history of the world that more um, uh, represents a body of divine ecstasy. I mean, it's very extraordinary. The, and this comes out in later parts of Chaitanya Charitamrita, the, 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 the Antilila, the end portion. It's very extraordinary. There are, of course, Rupa Goswami wrote a book, Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, and he talks about the, this very world of ecstasies, the Sanchari Bhav, the Stai Bhav, Sattvika Bhav, all the ingredients that make Bhakti Rasa. And in his chapter on, stai, on, on Sattvika Bhavs, those involuntary extraordinary transformations of horripilation and tears and fainting and uh, changing colors and so forth. There's eight of them uh, and they, they appear in devotees' persona relative to the different tastes of bhakti rasa that they're experiencing in different ways. Hmm? It's a very scientific, if you will, what a methodology to uh, explaining the, uh, we, the the term ecstasy or bhava years ago huh, so many thoughts years ago <laughs> when I first uh, by force of circumstances kind of and, and by the encouragement of Puja Patrita Maharaj my Chikcha Guru started a, a, a mission and to teach formally um, I, 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 at that time I needed some we needed some literature and so I began writing uh, a magazine. It was called Clarion Call. Clarion Call was a term. It's an old English phrase. 
Van Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur used the term clarion call to refer to the, the clarion call, the flute sound of Krishna at the end of the Bhagavad Gita. Sarva dharma pratyaja mamekam sharanam brajam. Uh, it is give up religion and take shelter of me and, uh, and so forth. Um, so anyway, w- we had themes. It was a quarterly magazine. This was in 1985 when the term New Age just kind of surfaced. And so we kind of like fit in there and have a, a dignified uh, spiritual magazine in what was a, you know, a world of imaginary <laughs> uh, and often egocentric and narcissistic uh, ideas of spirituality. <laughs> uh, at any rate, we had a theme, as I say, for each issue. And it was a quarterly magazine. So one of the themes in one issue was ecstasy. And on the front of the cover was a picture of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And ecstasy was our biggest seller. I, I didn't know at the time there was a drug called ecstasy <laughs> as well. <laughs> I had, you know, passed through the drug phase by that time quite a few years. So uh, it was a new new development. Um, <laughs> so I thought, well, it's popular, you know. <laughs> the Bhava, you know. We explained it, of course, to some extent, but um, um, it, Rupa Goswami, in his book, Bhaktarasamrita Sindhu, has really um, made a huge contribution to the world, uh, the religious world, in terms of writing and explaining uh, divine ecstasy. And so, such a nuanced way. I mean, after all, he is speaking about, writing about a world, the world of Krishna, the Leela of Krishna, is properly understood a world of various expressions of ecstasy that he termed using the terminology of Indian aesthetics in, in art, dance, music, poetry, and so forth um, to, to speak about the world, the language of poetry, if you will, at the time. And, that, and this is the mathematics kind of of the poetry, the structure of it, and so forth. So the terms Stayibhav, Sancharibhav, Sattvikabhav, Vibhav, and so forth. Um, he explained the whole of the Krishna Leela in, 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 in relation to, in terms of its being a world of ecstasy with these terms and went into them deeply and so forth and, and, um, offered the world a whole kind of science, if you will, of, of the ecstasy of, of Bhakti. Hmm? And, uh, among the Sattvikabhavs, these extraordinary involuntary ecstasies that will, there are eight of them, they will appear in different rasas, in shamtaras and dasaras and sakras, in different ways and to different extents. There's eight of them and then there's different degrees in which they will manifest, from like smoky to inflamed, to use the fire analogy that he does to qualify them. And of course, uh, 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 he, Jiva Goswami, I believe one of the main commentators on this book and the, dis- the lone disciple of Rupa Goswami makes the comment that um, there's eight of them, there's nine, there's one more in, in Vatsalya Rasa relative to that parental rasa, the flowing spontaneously of the milk from Mother Yasoda's breasts upon seeing Krishna, for example. But Jiva Goswami makes the comment, and there are others too, but they're so rare that there's no need to write about them. Hmm? And these we found, even in Chaitanya, some of them, even, they are written about somewhere, but Rupa Goswami didn't develop them. In Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, it was a very extraordinary uh, 
a person, embodiment of ecstasy. The ecstasy that he embodied is what the Goswamis located, if you will, on the map of the standard of knowledge of the time, which is all the sacred books of the Hindus. Hmm? This was the main way of knowing comprehensively, knowing beyond what you could know through sense perception, beyond what you could know with, the, um, with, with reason. Hmm? And for good reason, they thought there were things that could be known that reason didn't have access to. And so revelation, the principle of revelation. And, um, and, uh, and so Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, they found him on the map, they located him on there. Hmm? They nana shastra vicharana ikanipanosa dharma samstapako lokanam and this is the lokanam hitakaranu tribhuvanimanyusharanyakaro. It's a nice uh, statement of Srinivasacharya, just coming half a generation afterwards about them, these six Goswamis of Vrindavan who were the leaders, Rup Sanatan, who were like cabinet members of the government, Muslim government in Bengal at the time, who left They just left it aside and followed the boy, 25-year-old boy, 24-year-old lad, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who had taken sannyas. And, and, um, but Srinivas says that, that what was the spirit of their writing? Lokanam hitakarano Comprehensively, they wrote. I was saying the other day that when I was young and reading Prabhupada's books, sometimes I would just stop and marvel and think, how many books has he read? Because he's quoting this book and this Tantra and this Purana and this Upanishad and so forth. And I thought, my goodness, my gosh, he's just read so many books. He has access to them all. And not to diminish his contribution in any way, which is enormous, and we're all here because of it, uh, I was talking to your son. Where's Gopal? We were concurring that we had met together. But I was inviting him. Let's go to India sometime. And we kept, we're meeting on the on the basis of the the, the campaign of Prabhupada. I was telling him how the young how the Europeans went to India uh, and found spices and the richness. Of the, you know, it's, it's so textured. India, the different. Tastes and smells, and I remember in 1973, I think it was when I first got off the plane. It was just like, whoa, what is this? where is this? And the colors and uh, so exotic. Hmm? So I said the Europeans, they went there for the spices, the saffron, the cumin, the turmeric, and so forth, and, uh, and the tea, and and the richness of that to bring it to Europe and so forth. They found that it thought that they had a treasure. But because they didn't go there in exactly the right way to find out, with some of them an exploitive tendency, the real richness of the culture and enter into it, hmm? just like the Europeans later, the original Orientalists who went to study Indian culture and debunk it, um, started translating the works and so forth and and to, to establish the true one God <laughs> of Christianity as, as they thought. The Brahmins thought, let them translate, let them learn Sanskrit, but they can't understand what the books are actually saying. That's not the way to do that. Tadvidhi, 
pranipatena, puriprasnena, sevaya. Hmm? It's not information gathering by which we can enter into this. This kind of knowledge in these books is very different than the knowledge that we ordinarily collect and include as part of our portfolio to bring out when we feel it's necessary to sell ourselves to others, to showcase our knowledge and so forth. This knowledge is not the kind of knowledge that we can put on our agenda. It has an agenda, as I've sometimes said before, of its own. And if we really approach it properly, we start to realize we are on its agenda. Hmm? It's very extraordinary. Uh, so at any rate, they, they couldn't penetrate, they couldn't, they couldn't enter into the spirit of it was the idea. So I was saying much earlier than that, you're Marco Polo and whatnot, who went to Europe and India and found the spices and so forth. <laughs> now that they could really dive into the depth of the, of the tastes of India. Hmm? The rasa, hmm? the bhakti rasa, but Prabhupada exported that to the whole world and we're all tasting that to some extent and that's how, that's how we know one another, you and I. He was appreciating, I said, so we should hold hands and go there someday. <laughs> See it, yeah. India, <laughs> a great place. Hmm? So, the Goswamis, they, uh, informing the Sampradaya, they wrote these books in Sanskrit they located Chaitanya Mahaprabhu on the map, his ecstasy on the map. They found him to be the manifestation of, uh, the, that his ecstasy constituted what's called Mahabhav. Hmm? They identified him with Krishna and further, and much through the work of Krishnadas in his Chaitanya Charitamrita, with Radha as well, only in a very subtle way. Hmm? Did the Goswamis identify him with Krishna and with Radha? Hmm? To use Prabhupada's analogy, they went in like a pin. If you make a hole with a pin when you're going in, it makes a very small hole. And Krishnadas came out in the Bengali language like a plow, which leaves a big hole on the way out. So having established uh, what is the psychology of Krishna as they, as they plumbed the depths of the Rasalila and found him in want, in, this, in need, in existential crisis, thinking I'm Rasaraj, king of Rasa, but there's something about Rasa I don't know. The great secular Ras uh, Acharya Bharat, he said that in love the men and the women experience equally, but Krishna was concluding he doesn't know about my Rasa, about Bhakti Rasa, and I'm experiencing it now, that the, my feminine counter whole, Radha, <laughs> She is experiencing a depth of rasa and taste that I don't know. It's bringing my own existence, my own egoic existence as the king of rasa in, into question, problem. Hmm? Of course, he's a smart fellow, Krishna, and he reasoned about it very carefully, went, became very introspective, and he came to the conclusion that I am who I think I am. I am who the yogis say I am, and other devotees, and, and so on and so forth. I am God. Hmm? I am the, the supreme object of love. But there's something in me that only she can see. Hmm? And that's what's making her the way she is. The way she is, which is driving me crazy, is, is derived from me. So it's me. <laughs> 
but she's deriving something that I cannot, and this is a problem for me. My Leela is, is, is limiting me. I need, the implication is, another Leela. So this kind of understanding of the psychology of Krishna, the Goswamis, they brought out, they made it clear in a very subtle way. If you understand Krishna, he's now wanted to extend his capacity to taste rasa. How is he going to do it? You're left on the edge of your seat if you read there. How is it? What will, what will happen? So another Leela, of course, that is the Gore Leela. That is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who is Krishna. And you look carefully, you see, he's Krishna, but he's Radha, and he's more Radha than Krishna. Hmm? Very extraordinary idea. Um, and they, they wrote about it just by way of, hmm, check it out, what do you think? But look at the psychology. And, uh, and we learn this from studying about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. But they didn't write books about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and explain him in detail. They left some of this work to their successors, and Krishnadas in particular was chosen for this. But they wrote extensively, and they wrote in Sanskrit hmm, to establish the lineage. And they borrowed from other texts, they drew from other texts to establish the etiquette, the code of behavior, what mantras would be used in the Sampradaya, what would be the procedures, and the scars for human life, how to do Gaudiya Vaishnav marriages and, and uh, funerals, and and what's the theology, what's the philosophy, hmm? so on and so forth, at great length. And look, and they, and they did it, hmm? and that's what I realized when I was seeing Prabhupada, he's read so many books, and I want to diminish anything that he's done, and I'm not intending to do so by saying this, but then I realized, oh, that's how he did it. They read all those books, the Goswamis. They took all this, and they distilled that, in their books. Hmm? Pujapatrita Marsh gave a nice example. Because you know Vrindavan is a very peaceful place. It's very blissful, very peaceful, peaceful. And part of the peace is that the people are depicted there as being very simple. Cowherd people. They're very simple people on the scale of Indian society. They're in outback. <laughs> you know, they're not very well educated, but they're happy. Poor, uh, comparatively to, for example, Krishna's Dwarka life and the queens of of Dwarka, compared to the milkmaidens of Vrindavan, their wealth was their milk, which is pretty good wealth. <laughs> but uh, uh, simple people, and um, and peaceful people, and apparently not very. Knowledgeable. If a sage comes to Vrindavan, they pay respects, and they want to learn something from him, and so forth. We, Nard might come there, or Durvasa, and so forth, and they they they, they, uh, they appear not to be well schooled in in the uh, in the entirety of the sacred text. Religious people, nice people, hmm. but the fact that they're the ground of that place is is. Uh, and there you find all the wisdom of the Upanishads and uh, and uh, all the knowledge of the sacred texts and so forth is uh, brought out in these gopis, if you will, coming with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in the form of the Goswamis into a world where knowledge is required. There, knowledge is not required. It gets in the way. Hmm? 
of the commerce or the interaction. Um, I've given an example before. If you go to the store and you want to buy something to eat, you will often look and read the label. What is it? What's in there? So you're proceeding with some caution. And your head is active, if you will, to protect your heart and your body. And What are you going to give yourself? To? What are you going to spend your money on? Which is where our hearts often are. So <laughs> where are we going to invest in it? So, um, but in a friendly environment, in a home environment, then mother cooks and she's a devotee. Come and eat, and we don't say, well, "What's there? What, what, what's in it? What you know? What's on the label?" It's it's a, it's the homeland. So the head is relaxed, and in home, we're moving with the heart. There's no caution. You don't have to say thank you. You teach the kid to say thank you to other people, hmm? for the most part, hmm? because thank you, as Pujapachita Marsh once told us, it gets in the way. Hmm? In in love, it's automatic. Hmm? It goes without saying. Yeah. <laughs> the Indian one. <laughs> Very good. So it goes. So the, this is we want this kind of free kind of exchange. Love will be valued, graded on a scale of reciprocity. How much there's a giving and receiving exchange between two. How much two are becoming one hmm? and exchanging hearts, so to speak. Making my heart your heart, your heart my heart. The head has to kind of recede to the background, has to be quieted hmm, for this to take place. If it's too much active, then it's going to get in the way. Uh, so this is the way in which Vrindavan is depicted. Gyan shunya bhakti. Gyan is absent in this bhakti. And to give an example, they don't even know that Krishna is God. And even when they're told, and they said, oh, well, he may be, but anyway, it's not of much, that's not much significance it's, uh, to us. Mm. It's a beautiful idea. But these simple people, cowherd boys, girls, young girls, 13-year-old girls, they are depicted, the handmaidens of Radha, when they come to this world, which is arising out of avidya, out of ignorance, misconception, hmm? yeah then it's apparent in the work of the Goswamis that they, in Vrindavan, so much knowledge is there. It's in the ground. Hmm? If, for example, in this country, it's a peaceful country, but we have very powerful military-industrial complex that is hidden in, you know, Area 51, along with the aliens or whatever, and uh, at other places, you know, in the Rocky Mountains or whatever. We don't have, in our uh, 4th of July, we don't have tanks and missiles being paraded through the streets like they did in Eastern Europe or in Russia to show the power during the Cold War, for example, of the country, the nation. We never see this in the United States. Um, it may come to pass that <laughs> that's going to be a change, but I suppose. But, uh, but it... You know, they're not like machine gun guards at the, uh, you know, at the bus stops and the airports and so forth yet. Uh, so the the point is that the power, this power of military might, just to use an example, is suppressed so that there can be peaceful interaction. Because if you're, you know, on your way to the store and there's a guy with a machine gun, <laughs> it kind of it kind of inhibits that uh, 
that have a nice day, you know. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, have a nice day. Watch out, don't you? <laughs> so, uh, so it's all suppressed. It's suppressed. But it's, if it's needed and the nation should be attacked, then it comes out everywhere. Hmm? So this Vrindavan is like this. It's not needed. It's a secondary thing. But it's there. These aren't fools. Therefore, their love is wise love. It's very wise. Hmm? Well-reasoned. Hmm? And again, when they come here, where the need of knowledge, such knowledge, they, I mean, the books that they, that they quote, some of them are so obscure, how they kept themselves in their task given to them by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to, to take from all of the sacred texts and distill it and bring out the essence. And they did this in the Sanskrit language, and lokanam hitakarano tribune. This is very nice, what Srinivasa said. Lokanam hitakarano tribune manyo sharanyakaro. The mood, the, 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 the spirit, the feeling behind it. Lokanam hitakarano, with great compassion for the people. Hmm? To try to break it down and give it to them, make available, to institutionalize, I said, as I said, in a soft way through writing, the ecstasy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, which corresponds with the Leela of Radha and Krishna, and their their attempt to come together, to unify, the attempt of Radha and Krishna to 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 uh, for some bog, hmm? for union. Hmm? There's a problem in that. <laughs> the problem in union in Radha Krishna Pranai, Rikriti Ladini Shakti Rasmad. The two, one Krishna becoming two as Radha, the two now try to become one, not in the way that Krishna was singular to start with, and his Shakti was within him, now manifesting outside. He has an object to repose his love in, and the love has him in the form of Radha. The love has him as an object to repose her love in. Now there's this dynamic exchange but the exchange is an attempt to become unified again, not in the singular way, but in the way that two become one and become, you know, you and I become, as I often say, become we. But the, there's the problem there. The problem they found is that, that Radha and Krishna unifying, Krishna started thinking it was Radha, Radha started thinking it was Krishna, and they were two again. <laughs> so it's this problem, hmm? is resolved in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Therefore, ekatmano apibhuvi puradeham vedogato to chaitanya kyam prakatam madunatta dayam chaikyam aptam radha bhava duti suvalitam nomi krishna surupan. And Ramananda Roy saw that in Chaitanya Charitamrita. He saw that. Hmm? This is the... This is, uh, so, this, they, this idea, they want to give this to the world and their hearts were just full, overflowing with compassion to distribute this lokanam hitakarano, tribhuvane manyo sharanyakaro. So these, these are extraordinary people. The worldly compassion, the depth of their compassion is a kind of a ground out of which this bhakti rasa will grow. So we have to become a little compassionate hmm? if we want to attain bhakti rasa. If we want bhakti rasa, we can't be fighting with one another. Your guru is better than my guru in this kind of, my sect is better than your sect and we're both godias but you're bad and we're good and this is what to speak of the people hmm? the people of the world hmm? 
We're not here to fight with them. <laughs> it's not the, the purpose, to share with them. Hmm? With the heart, if, if your heart becomes full, then there's the sharing. Sutta Goswami spoke about Sukadev, his Siksha Guru in Bhagavatam in the same way. He spoke this secret of the Purana out of compassion. It means it's an overflowing. Hmm? Worldly compassion obviously is, 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 is very extraordinary and, and desirable. It, Bhakti Rasa leaves it very much in the dust. But we can't think we'll skip over it somehow and enter into Bhakti Rasa. No. Hmm? This will, you will pass through this. The compassion of Prahlad, hmm? for example. Very, he's a very uh, paradigmatic figure in the Bhagavatam. He really exemplifies this this kind of uh, compassion for his father, who was so inimical to him, Haranyakasipu. Hmm? And Bhagwan Nishringa came before him and said, take a blessing. He said, I don't want anything. He said, take a blessing. That's what I do. Everybody asks me for a blessing. Take it. I don't want it. Take a blessing. I'm God. Take it. Finally he said, okay, give bhakti to my father. Consider it done, he said. And sit on my lap here. Hmm. Uh, so this uh, is, uh, and this of course is very much part of uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's Lila. But my point in all of this is that Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami, he took the Goswami's writings, he put them into, into Bengali in the same spirit to share them with the general public. And his work that my recent publication is, is, is based on, I mean, it's a commentary on the 14 verses of his auspicious invocation, his preface. I said there was a technical aspects to his preface. He has that in four verses, one verse, two verses of their namaskar. One is a verse explaining the essence of the philosophy in, in a concise way. Another one is a giving a blessing. But then he goes on with 11, 12, 11 more verses, which is extraordinary for a Mangalacharan. And then he gives an extended commentary over seven chapters on the 14 verses. And so we're coming after all of that, after the Goswamis and uh, and uh, Chaitanya and, 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 and Krishnadas Kaviraj and his commentary, commentaries of Bhakti Vinod, Bhakti Siddhanta, and my Guru Maharaj, who, who used their commentaries as a resource for his own to write something on this. Humble, I want to say, I'm trying to say, it's a humble effort. And much as some of you may have read a little bit and felt it was good, I want to bring your attention to the fact that it's not hard to be too, write a good book based on such a good book. Hmm? And what was his position, Krishnadas? He came just a half generation after these founding acharyas, the Goswamis, and he was sent to Vrindavan in his youth by Nityananda Prabhu himself, who mystically appeared to him, hmm? along with his associates, all dressed like cowherd boys chanting Krishna, Krishna, and said, go to Vrindavan, all your desires will be re re realized there. He was homeless at the time, because living in his own home, a great and powerful associate of Nityananda Prabhu, Miniketan Aramdas, came there. Miniketan Aramdas used to, they were constantly tears were, were swelling in his eyes of love of God. He used to carry a flute in his belt, and sometimes he would jump up on top of people and chant Hare Krishna in ecstasy. And uh, he was a very extraordinary uh, person. 
like all of the associates of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, very unorthodox and uh, of Nityananda Prabhu, very unorthodox and uh, playing with Bengali tigers in the forest and slapping them and rolling like they were kittens and these kind of things are described. Very extraordinary people. Anyway, he came to the house of Krishnadas Kaviraj's brother, where Kaviraj was staying, and he found with the visit of Miniketan Ramdas that his brother, who disrespected Miniketan Ramdas, he realized, oh, my brother calls himself a devotee of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, but he disrespects Nityananda Prabhu. I can see by the way he's treating Miniketan Ramdas. So he said, I'm leaving here. Hmm? There's no question of loving Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and having disrespect for Nityananda Prabhu. That's not a, that doesn't work like that. So there is, there is a science to the whole thing. It's not just a sentiment. Hmm? There is some wisdom to it all. Hmm? Nityananda Prabhu, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu many times went out of his way to assert what is the position of Nityananda Prabhu to all of his devotees. So, anyway, point is, he was homeless. He was, he just said, he basically concluded, I would rather have the substance of spiritual, um, essential truth and be homeless rather than live comfortably at home without it. You should have this kind of courage, all of you. Hmm? You should have this kind of courage. Because sometimes our material lives and our spiritual lives will run on the parallel line. And sometimes we'll realize, oh, they're actually different. Hmm? And the absolute and the relative condition consideration don't always go uh, straight. They go, they, they depart. Hmm? And that's where you have to depart and choose the absolute and take the substance over the form. Hmm? Rather you live um, without, materially, as it would seem, hmm? on the uh, strength of your faith and conviction in uh, in the absolute, forego the relative consideration. Many years ago, many is now maybe over th- thirty-five years ago. I had the uh, I was part of an institution, and I felt inspired to by Pujapatridamar to take his his guidance. And uh, uh, a fellow in the institution advised me, said, "You know, one thing you should think like this: that you know, he's very old now." He could pass away at any time. You are very well known in the in the society, and uh, highly respected. And if you now take his counsel, because the society doesn't respect him, you'll be you'll you'll be all of your facilities. You you won't have any facilities. I said that's why I'm going. <laughs> Think those kind of thoughts, that kind of advice. That's very. Compelling. Hmm. You helped me cement my decision. I'll go tonight. Hmm. I should go tonight, immediately. Hmm. I didn't come looking for a place to live, hmm. but a philosophy to live inside of. Hmm. I felt that there was one that was big enough that could that could provide in a way that no material arrangement could make, no 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 superficial religious or superficial spiritual arrangement could. I mean, I was a Catholic, raised by the. The Jesuits, they got a big structure, they got a whole thing. You could, I wanted to become a priest as a boy. You could become a priest, you could get, you know, a little paycheck, whatever. I, you know, they've got a big system there. Hmm? Could have plugged into that, but I didn't find it to be, have the same uh, depth and substance that I saw 
in the person of my Guru Maharaj, just looking at him, just meeting him once. And first meeting of seeing him in the airport in Los Angeles, and he looked with his benediction glance at me for long and hard, seeing forever. It was probably his second, being forever. Hmm? Let me know. I've known you for a long time. Here you are again. Hmm? Again we meet hmm? as friends. Hmm? Come with me. Don't return. Hmm? I thought, I'm joining this. Even if everybody leaves, I will never... <laughs> I, was, I will stay with him. And in a meaningful way, in a dynamic way, where it would take me, who can say? Who could say at the time? Hmm? But this is important. I mean, how it play out differently in our lives, all, all of us. But we have to have the courage. And it's a great adventure, spiritual life, to choose and understand and choose the absolute over the relative. This, and, and these will put foundational building blocks in, the heart, in a heart where we're trying to erect a temple. Uh, and we live on that. That world is not... It, it's Chintamani Dam. It's the land of everything. You can, all desires will be fulfilled there. <laughs> There's nothing that could possibly be lacking there. The trees, they say, give anything you want. The milk from the cows, you get anything you want. And they don't want anything because of what they have because of the love of Krishna. And that premadam, that wealth, that is what has been imported here through the Namsankirtan of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm. And Krishna Das, he had this kind of spirit, so he left his home. He didn't know where he would go. And what happened? And immediately Nityananda Prabhu came to him and said, you should live in Vrindavan. That's where you should live. I give you permission to go there. Now you can go there. That's true. Today, you can get a ticket and go there, but what does it mean to go there? Pujapad Sridhar Marsh taught us this very nicely by a story he told about his own life. Hmm? After the passing of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur in the, in the mission of, uh, of his, um, there was some discord and, and, and whatnot and, um, and in sorting it all out um, and how to proceed in the absence of their guide. Um, he, Pujapachita Marsh, determined that he would like to live in Navadweep and make that his place of residence and just retire there and chant. Hmm? And uh, he thought, but if I'm to do this, I need permission. He's a Bengali, you know. <laughs> he was born within the Gauda Mandala, hmm? the, the larger circle of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's pastimes in Hapaniya. But he wanted to live in Navadweep itself along the bank of the Ganges. And I thought, in order to live here in a real way, hmm, in a substantial way, I need to get permission. You can't come here with your, your shoes on, so to speak. So he went to Ek Chakra, the birthplace of Nityananda Prabhu, and he prayed to him, hmm, that please give me residence in Navadweep. At that time, Sridhar Marsh was not interested in making disciples, having students. Some of his other associated friends, Guru Bhais, Prabhupada, they were engaged in that and, and so forth. He had no interest in it. He was very much inter- kind of uh, backward pushing, kind of keeping out of the light, uh, out, of the, out of the front um, limelight and so forth was his nature. So when he made the prayer to Nityananda Buddha and Ek Chakra, that is, please you give me permission to reside in Navadweep, then Nityananda Prabhu came to him in his heart and said, you want my mercy to live in Namadweep, but 
you don't give your mercy to anyone. So then he thought, oh, goodness, hmm, now what to do? So he made a deal. <laughs> His deal was, all right, so what you're saying basically is I can live in Navadweep if I give my mercy to others. Okay, I'll do it. But that doesn't mean I'm going to go run here, there, and everywhere to catch people and find people. If they happen to come, I won't reject them. Hmm? So I will live peacefully there, and probably nobody will come. But, but if, they, if they do happen to come, then I will honor your request. Well, as it turned out, they came, and lots of them came. And my Guru Maharaj, Swami Prabhupada, sent them there, sent us there. And in the end, of course, some few disciples obviously came beforehand. He had a small um, residence there. Um, but Prabhupada, in the end, opened the door and said, you know, you want guidance, my absolute, this is a place to go. And so, so many people came. So many, and then his talks were recorded and so forth. This is a little bit of the history. We're all somewhat touched by him, isn't it? Hmm? Such a such a such a capable person, so closely associated with our Guru Maharaj, Prabhupada housed him for six years in Calcutta. They wrote their Bhagavad Gita commentaries under the same roof, and so forth. So, similarly, Krishna he got permission to go to Vrindavan to live there. Now, Vrindavan is a land of sadhus. It's a land of extraordinary people. It's said by Jiva Goswami, and it's a very, very strong statement. The meaning of it we should reflect upon. In his Satsandarva, great treatise that is probably the most complete theological and philosophical dissertation on what Gaudiya Vedanta is, its interpretation of Vedanta, all based on the Bhagavad, which is thought to be a natural commentary on the Vedanta Sutras and so forth. His Satsandarbha is a... Satsandarbha means like a necklace, so he strung together so many verses of the Bhagavatam hmm, in, necla- in a necklace to explain its the essence of Vedanta. So it's kind of our commentary on the Vedanta, if you will, uh, that defines the, the tattva, the philosophical ground of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. So... Um, Jiva Goswami, he, um, he, what was it? He, he wrote that in Satsandarbha, at the introduction, he said, he offers, in his own Mongol charn of the Satsandarbha, he says, and in my respects to Rup and Sanatan, his elders, the leaders of the Goswamis, who are famous in the mandal of Mathura in Vrindavan. Just a short statement, you can pass it by. They were famous in Vrindavan. Okay. What it means is, it's one thing to be famous in America and few people know you. and To be famous in Vrindavan, that is another thing. Sanatan Goswami was affectionately referred to as Munda Baba. He used to shave his head on every full moon and he used to wander in the, in the brudge and when he would come into a village 
children would come and run and hold his hand and and the elders would seek advice from him on any subject and um, when he left the world all of Vrindavan men women men, women and children they all shaved their heads they say we follow him hmm? the leader hmm? Rup Sanat Sanatan was the elder so in Gorlila Sanatan takes the leading role over Rupa Goswami. He's, uh, he's deferred to by Rupa Goswami in his writings. Hmm? They all say, we follow him. Imagine what, 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 what is Vrindavan and, and then to be in that position. Hmm? And, and, and the group immediately following Rupa Goswami, who Krishnadas came in touch with. I mean, he was initiated by Raghunathas Goswami, but by the time he came to Vrindavan, and stayed there. After some time, all the Goswamis passed away. And as time passed on, they were all reading the Chaitanya Bhagavad of Vrindavan Dastakur about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And then the collective of sadhus, of Gaudiya sadhus of Vrindavan that really populated the whole place, they all got together and they all said, we want you, Krishnadas Gavigaraj, to write about the later pastimes of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. This is Chaitanya Charitamrita. It's just such a powerful, um, uh, I want to say, empowerment, blessing, hmm? and extraordinary task, which he did in, a, in, 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 in grand style, as I say, by taking the essence of all the... When I first, when I was younger, this Chaitanya Charitamrita came out in English for the first time. The story was that our Guru Maharaj was publishing, a, his, his, his book trust was publishing a, a one volume, about 300 pages, of his commentary on the Bhagavatam every month. But in his own writing, he had completed an entire commentary on Chaitanya Charitamrita. And so the publishing house was far behind their author. Hmm? And so we were walking on the beach in Los Angeles, and some of you know the story, but Prabhupada said, so, the book trust is, you know, behind, and I've written Chaitanya Charitamrita, so some of the publishers were there, and they said, well, we, we determined, you know, it, it will be complete in 17 volumes. Hmm? And so, um, we've come up with a plan. We're going to do, continue to do one of your Bhagavatam commentary ongoing books a month, and we're going to print two books on top of that, two books of Chaitanya Charitamrita on top of that. That's three books a month, something like that. So two books a month, and then Prabhupada said, no, I want all books in two months. <laughs> and that devotee fainted right there on the beach. There's a friend of mine. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> he said, that is impossible. And Prabhupada said, impossible? That is the world, a word in a fool's dictionary. It's a quote from Napoleon, actually. So anyway, it was it was done, but when it was done, that friend of mine who was already a pale guy, he became a whiter shade of pale. Um, <laughs> with that task, you know, it was like, and they did it. They stayed up like, you know, I don't know. They stopped sleeping to do that. And as the books were coming out at the time, I was stationed in Chicago, and we were distributing these books at the airport where, where they would go all over the world, all over the world. And so he was sending me copies 
advanced copies. They would send to Prabhupada hmm? and maybe a couple of his associates. And I was uh, a brahmachari, so one of the rank and file devotees, but he was sending them to me, a copy. So there I was fortunate to be one of the first persons in the Western world to read the Chaitanya Charitamrita. Hmm? And I would sit with other devotees. We would get together after a day of service and evening and, and just read from it. And when I was reading it, I thought, my God, this is incredible because here the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu is in this book, the Bhagavad Gita is in this book, the Bhagavatam is in this book. He's drawing from all of these core texts hmm, of Gaudiya Vaishnavism and distilling the essence of them in one book. And the, and, and the context of that is in the form of a very sweet narrative of the whole Leela, extraordinary Leela of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So it's a very extraordinary um, uh, work. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the last work also of, the, of all that the founding Acharyas did. It's kind of, they had asked him to do this, he did it, and it became the book that also determined what is orthodox Gaudiya Vaishnavism, because there were many different conceptions about who this Chaitanya was, what he represented, what was his divinity. They all knew he was divine in some way and how to relate to that. And Krishna kind of gave it to the world, the, the, the very heart of what Rupa Goswami understood Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to be. This is coming through Chaitanya Charitamrita in the writing of Krishna Das Kaviraj, of course, in Bengali. I very much put it in English. And so this is, a, I mean, there were some conceptions about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu were not included in the book. It means he was polite about it. He didn't say they were bad. He, said, he just didn't mention them in there. Hmm? So the, the, the orthodox teaching of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, uh, this is the, 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 the last word in the uh, initial wave of, of texts explained. And there were many of them. There are over 100,000 verses, biographical verses, written about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in six, eight, or nine different sacred uh, biographies of him at the time. Krishna Das's was, was the last. But just the, what kind of a stir Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, what kind of a, uh, that he caused in, uh, in Bengal and in, in the South and Puri hmm, to generate so much uh, attention from educated people He's really the Eastern uh, Savior, if you will. Many apostles making their testimony um, as to his importance and significance. And, it, and it, we see it's, it's been contagious. So, a bit long introduction, but it's not too hard to write a good book about such a good book. So if you have been reading and you're appreciating it, again, I want to refer you to, to the... Uh, the author whose commentary it's 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 a commentary on, and I could go on, but um, what time is it now? What time do we start? Six thirty. So, um, any question? Maybe that would be a pause here. Would be good. Yes. In the first chapter on page seven. You've written, because the initiating guru imparts the mantra, Sri Krishna Das describes the guru as representing the rupa, or form of the Godhead. He describes the instructing gurus as representing the svarup, or nature of the Godhead. 
Thus the initiating and instructing gurus are one and that they are both equally divine manifestations of the Godhead and are simultaneously different in terms of their function. So I've never heard Dikshaguru representing the Rupa and Shikshaguru representing the Swarup, which is differentiated between the form and the nature of God. Could you um, elaborate on that? Yeah. As I said in the beginning, uh, that's from the first chapter, so it's commenting on the first uh, verse of his, of, his, of his preface, of his Mongol charn, and begins with the line, Vande Gurun. Hmm? So, uh, in his own commentary on it, um, he spends most of his time speaking about the guru and the plurality of gurus, which he limits in his commentary to the notions of an initiating guru and an instructing guru, diksha and siksha gurus. There are other manifestations of guru as well, but he limits his plurality uh, to those two while emphasizing that the two essentially are one at the same time. One in divinity and two in function. And uh, so Vande Guru, and he goes on, Vande Guru Nisha Bhaktan, Nisha Nisha Vatarakam, Tat Prakasham, but the other part here of the verse he leaves for commenting on later, mentioning the different members of the Panchatattva. So the whole Pant, the whole Mangalchan is about the different members and the, what they represent and so forth. But again, prefaced by Vande Gurun, with respect to the plurality of gurus, the Sanskrit, and using the plural is also a way of um, making a respectful. Um, speaking with respect, but so he's doing both at the same time. So your question is that uh, yes, um, the diksha guru. The diksha guru is the guru that gives the mantra. Hmm? The imparting of the transcendental knowledge in the form of of a mantra. Hmm? And these mantras are like, uh, as I've explained in the book, something like the idea of some mathematicians that there are uh, there are there's math that underlies the world math is not a human invention but it's discovered there's the math that explains much of the physical world it, it, it's kind of a platonic idea hmm? And that, so there's a, to use, what is his name, a popular physicist, um, contemporary of that, Hawking, what is his name? Contemporary of him. Uh, now I forget his name. Anyway, uh, he acknowledges a, a, a kind of a platonic world where mathematical formulas live hmm? um, in a non-physical realm, equations. So as it's thought like this, in a very similar way, it's thought about the world in general, the matter, from the Vedic point of view, that there are sounds. You know, if you take like string theory also, you have the idea that at the, at the bottom, if you will, of existence, there, is, there, are, there are vibrations, harmonics, and you can, you, 
the, the equations that govern harmonics are the most ubiquitous, ubiquitous of all of the equations. Hmm? So in the Vedic idea also, there's sound that underlies the world. Hmm? And therefore it's thought that the sound, after all, is how we categorize things. Right? We call it this, we call it that, and we start to categorize. It's for categorizing. So Brahma, the Brahma, as he's, this idea of the Brahma is this distinguishing, uh, uh, categorizing within the world, um, making categories through sound. Hmm? Um, if properly understood, that's what, what he's doing in, in his kind of sub-creation through sound. Um, so as there are sounds that underlie the world, if you will, and it, which it arises out of, hmm? then anabratihi shabdat, anabratihi shabdat, the sutras of Vyas, and with this aphorism, by sound hmm, also, you can go to another world, hmm, that this is the effect of, go to the cause, and From Anabhatishabda, and from there, there's no return. From there, there's no return. Going to the cause, from the effect, there's no return. There's no return. So says the sound. It means so says so says this. So says this, the Upanishad, and so and it may also mean and the sound and and by the sound, by the name, you can go. This is the, the essence of all the sounds. In the Upanishads, Nikila Shruti Apiratna Muladam, the Bhagavad wrote in his Namastakam, all the sounds of the Upanishads are like jewels shedding light, and they're all shedding light on one sound of two syllables, Krishna. It's like there's some place in your brain, probably you can press it, and the whole body will be paralyzed. Like that. This one sound changed the whole, whole thing. So, as there are sounds that underlie the world, so there are sounds that, that can... The world, as understood in, in, in the sacred text of the Hindus, is something that expands and contracts. The way that the Hindus, sages, rishis looked at this is from a psychological point of view. They plumbed kind of the depths of human psychology. Hmm? And they thought there's basically, we see three things here. We see contentment, we see discontentment, and we see delusion. Hmm? And in, this is in the psyche. And then in, 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 in the physical world, we see a correlation. We see light hmm? or intelligibility, knowing. Knowing is like light and knowing is, it makes us happy when we know. Hmm? We understand. Hmm? So we see we see light in the world, we see um, movement, and we see uh, inertia hmm? that that delimits then makes forms. So what they're saying is that the, the physical world ex- expands out of the psychic world, and they have these two forms of matter, psychic and physical matter. Which is a huge solution, if you, if you, to the problem in modern science, the whole problem in modern science, if you will, in terms of coming up with a comprehensive theory, is, well, you know, you want to be objective and find out what the what things really are, 
what's really out there. This is what life's about. What's out there and who's asking the question? These are the two things, right? What's out there and who's, who's even thinking about it? Hmm? That's what you have to figure out. Guru should know these two things. Yeah. <laughs> and something, and something, and the prospect of beyond that, of, of the one who's observing. So, um, <laughs> so they, they, uh, they thought that, it, 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 that, well, the problem on science being that, what, that we, that we, we want to be free from our subjective hallucinations and imaginations about what things are, so we're going to do, we're going to measure objects hmm, in relation to one another. Hmm. There's an assumption based into the scientific uh, controlled experiment, which is, the, the assumption is that, um, that, the, that there is an existence independent of observation. That's an assumption. Hmm. It's in question to some extent at this point, but it's so matters and is, is up for grabs, it's a question. But with that assumption, science for a long time proceeded with the idea that, that reality is made up of these quantities like length and mass and whatever, depth and velocity and so forth. Um, and the whole way that we experience life, which is through smell and taste and uh, color and so forth, really is not grounded in, in the real. Hmm? It's something that goes on in our brain somehow where we come up with these subjective things. But the problem, of course, is the brain is thought to be matter. <laughs> and so if it's not in matter, how is it in the brain? And if it is in the brain and the brain's matter, maybe it's in everything. In other words, maybe there is a subjective quality to matter also. So this, this is, requires a whole other realm of matter. We would call it psychic matter or subtle matter. And the Rishis, they began with this premise. They, they, didn't, they didn't dismiss their psychology, and they saw that in the psychology, as much as there's a, these basic discontent, there's content, contentment, discontent, and delusion. It means what? Sattva, Rajas, Tamas. They saw it in the psyche from a psychological point of view in humans, and then they saw it in the physical, that there's intelligibility, intelli things make themselves known, there's movement, and then there's what inertia, something is a scientific term. So there's sattva, rajas, and tamas are actually ontological. They're part of matter and they're part of the psyche. And, and anyway, to make a long story short, they, that the, the physical world expands out of the psychic world. The psychic world is quasi-subjective hmm? and subjectivity is real in matter. So that solves the mind-brain problem, really. Um, but, uh, but the reason it's so is because consciousness itself, which is ontologically different than matter, both psychic and physical, is, is being re reflected in, in the mood prakriti, in, 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 the, in, the, in, the, in the primordial uh, form of subtle matter. Subtle matter has the... Uh, it, Buddhi has the power to reflect consciousness. So all of, anyway, it's complicated, but all of our experiences are all going on in the subtle realm 
of matter and we're witnessing it and so on and so forth. So, so this all, this this reflecting of consciousness in matter is has to do with like the sound idea, right? The shabda. So, and by, and so, but there are sounds by which we can get out, and the sound by which we can get out, and also know sounds that that, that are underlying the causal realm hmm? uh, and beyond the spiritual realm, Goloka. Hmm? So this is in the mantra. Hmm? So the point, and so the mantra, for example, the Diksha mantra of Gaudiya Vaishnavism is represents really the form of Krishna. The form of Krishna is in the mantra. Hmm? So the guru who gives the mantra, hmm, he represents the, the form of Krishna in this way because he's representing the mantra, giving the mantra. In which the, and then the siksha guru, who's giving relevant instructions that we may take advantage of the mantra, hmm? And, and, and so forth. He is speaking about the, the, the there's one form and then his nature is, is diverse. Hmm? So something like that. That's the way he's framed it. So the rup and the swarup hmm, of Krishna represented by the diksha guru and the siksha guru respectively. Does that help? That's hmm. <laughs> a long way around to, to explain that. But... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, because the uh, is it would it be correct to say that the nature of Krishna is um, uh, seen through his form. His form will see. You will see his nature. So, um, if you could say it again, the Halishiksha Guru is giving the form. Excuse me. The nature. Well, what I said in, in brief is that the form is singular and the nature is diverse. Hmm? So there are many things to be said about his nature. There are some things to be said about the form, but, but the, the mantra is one. The explanations that will uh, help us to take advantage of the mantra may be many. Hmm? And 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 of course, then uh, a relationship with Krishna unfolds out of the mantra. That's the whole idea. Hmm? You're making a connection. There's some bandha. The Diksha Guru presides over some bandha. The Siksha Guru is preside is presided over by Abhideya. So Guru through the mantra makes the connection with the form of Krishna, and then with subsequent instruction and so forth, then we are able to develop also a relationship with Krishna. So the guru gives the mantra and he also gives the relationship with Krishna. He, he gives the instructions by which we can um, develop that. Hmm. Now, ordinarily, the diksha guru is also the siksha guru. Hmm. And we need, we need by giving siksha, then the disciple becomes captured and then the guru becomes captured by the disciple who says, I would want the diksha from you. So... So, siksha and diksha are also in one one package, but they can the siksha can come in other packages also. Mm. So, are we there in relationship with 
Yes, yes, it's a big subject. Hmm? A big subject. Tasmad Guru Prapadyeta Jignasu Shre Uttamam Shabde Pareta Nishnatam Brahmani Upashamashrayam So the Guru Upashamashrayam and Shabde Pareta Nishnatam This is important. Nishnatam Who can it means who is Nishnatam means who is well versed in the texts the theory not everybody has to be like that, but somebody does. Right? To explain, to teach it to us. Well versed in the theory. It means also that Nishnata means not only the theory of what is Gaudiya Siddhanta, which which is, we have a long history, a literary heritage of this, right? Not only well versed in that, but well versed in other books too. Vishwanath make, makes this significant comment. And to give an example of the times, the Goswamis, the founding acharyas, gurus of our Sampradaya, they were well, as I said, Nana Shastra Vicharanik and Panosad Dharma Samstapu. They knew all these Puranas and uh, Tantras. They were so well versed in it, right? Hmm? They were well versed in it. But they also knew all the philosophies of the time. Hmm? Nyaya, Vaisheshika, Karma Mimamsa, Sankhya, we were just talking a little bit about the Sankhya philosophy, nature of matter, and uh, that's a big aspect of it. Sankhya, Vedanta, the different types of it, they were, they were, they were versed in the philosophical currents of the time. So in order to be the guide, not only do they have to know the books that they're teaching, they have to know also the other currents of thought that are there, to some extent at least, in order to be able to present the essence of the books that they're teaching in a relevant way. And, and so this is a big task. This is not just for anyone and everyone. Um, it's a huge undertaking <laughs> just to know the theory. Hmm? And also, a, a young lady asked me the other day that how will we know the right answer? Because so many people are giving sometimes different answers. You know about what is some question about Gaudiya Vaishnavism? I said first of all, the the answers we have to understand the answers are answers about answers as to what the sacred text, as explained by our tradition, says. That's what the answer is. And that's what Shraddha is, or corresponds with. Shraddha means faith. So you need to, this is a kind of a vague word in a sense, faith. What does it mean here? Therefore, to, to help us explain, Shraddha, Shastriya Shraddha means faith in, in a descending way of knowing, that a comprehensive knowing cannot be arrived at simply by sensual or rational, uh, empirical or rational exercise. You can know some things by that to some extent, but comprehensive knowledge that will satisfy you, that will make you feel I don't need to know anything else, I'm complete, and you're not interested in any other, so many other forms of knowledge, which you might even term ignorance, hmm? uh, other than to explain, as I say, you may, may, may require. 
So to arrive at that, there is faith. But to arrive at that kind of knowing, hmm, knowledge itself has to reveal itself to me. Hmm. I can't gather it with my imperfect instruments of senses and, and reasoning, comprehensive knowledge. Perfect. If I want perfect knowledge, I need a perfect method. And so this is the perfect method. <laughs> Help. The brain is, reason is not the perfect method for knowing. That should be obvious. You can debate any topic <laughs> till, it, till you die, and the debates still go on. There's so many nuanced uh, uh, ways of looking at it from the point of view of, of, of reason. And, and, and science's interpretation of... You, people want to divorce... Divorce philosophy from science these days is such a joke because science is just a it's just a pile of facts. That's all, <laughs> just a pile of facts. You have to interpret them now. Uh, so anyway, the faith in the idea that comprehensive knowing I cannot arrive at it by an imperfect perfect knowing I can't arrive at by an imperfect method, and I think that my senses are imperfect, my reasoning power is imperfect. Doesn't mean they have no use, but they're not going to be the proper instruments or vehicles to give me the kind of knowledge that will fully satisfy me, that, as I say, that will make me feel like there's nothing else that I need to know. Hmm? Full. Hmm? So, therefore, faith and revelation. Now, we are, those of us here are on the path of Gaudiya we have a certain interpretation of the sacred text, which lend itself to different interpretations, all of which keep the power of that revelation in place, but it's speaking about a variegated possibility and transcendence. So there are different valid interpretations. But the point here is what? How do you know the right answer? First of all, is the right answer in a more general way is what does the Shastra say about it from the Gaudiya perspective? That's the right answer. In other words, there may be times in our spiritual progress where we feel we don't like the answer. Hmm? We don't particularly like the answer. That's where you get the chance to change. <laughs> you see? I see. I see. What, because what we don't like about the answer is that we're looking for an answer and an understanding from our particular material perspective hmm? of what we think is good, what we think must be right, what we think must be the right way to think, the right way... And we, we're in that. That's our problem. Hmm? The Shastra is meant to help us come out of that. So there will be times where it says things, we go, I, I, don't, that doesn't, I don't like that. Anadi karma. I have no... Or something like that. That's where you get the change. You just go, okay, that's what it says. I guess that's what I'm like. And this, you see, this is a very important point. This kind of tattva, people want a bhava, people want a siddhadeya, people want a spiritual body to be in a leela with Krishna. It's a great idea. Don't forget this part, because this is forming the ground of your spiritual body. This is not separate from that. Understand? This is this is changing you from how you think of yourself. What am I? Hmm? What's good? What's bad? You have a certain ideas and you want to impose them on transcendence. And as long as transcendence sounds like that, hey, great, I'm with it. And then you realize, hmm, it was saying something a little more than that. Like it says, you're all persons, individuals. You go, yeah, you're all individual. I like that part. So don't be a my body. They say you're all one. They say you're God. You're not God, are you? No, I'm not God. Okay, see? 
There you go. We've just defeated the way to Vedanta. You know, okay. <laughs> There's a little more to it than that. But then you get it going, and like, yeah, I'm an, I'm an individual, and I don't like this impersonalism, to use Prabhupada's term. And then you go, you think, yeah, that guru is nice, but he's a little impersonal. He didn't say hello, you know. That's not what they're talking about there. <laughs> That's not exactly what they're talking about, you know. <laughs> There's a little more to it. By the way, your personality... <clears throat> By the way, is is kind of, is the kind of individuality that's problematic. Hmm? That we have to we have to de- de- deconstruct it hmm? and get to the individual atomic particle of consciousness that you are hmm? of Satchit Ananda, and in the context of a different environment of bhakti, and then a spiritual personality will will, will come out. So that's like way different from what you are now. It's not like you know, I'm like this, and I, 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 I've always liked to do this, so I think I'll be that in the spiritual world. This is this, not what exactly how the teaching works. So I'm just giving a kind of a crude example, but there were many instances, or a number of them, that depending on our background in this over lifetimes, when the scriptural argument comes, the right answer comes, and it's a little uncomfortable. And that's when we get to change, and that's forming our body, our, our personality, our spiritual personality. It's not separate from that. Hmm? We can't have a closed ear for tattva and just say, I just want to hear about the Leela and I'll just you know, enter there, skip over that part. One fellow once told me, because I can get a little complicated at times and, and drawn out. He said, you know, after the lecture, he said, he said, Maharaj, uh, whatever happened, just chant and be happy. You know, let's keep it simple. I said, I don't know. Why don't you do that? Why don't you just chant and be happy? Is that what you do? Said no, so that's why we do this. <laughs> we talk about it because <laughs> you don't do it, you know, because you need to think about why to do it, what's important, what does it mean, and so forth. So there's a ground to this, you know, you, you, that this whole dance is going to be performed on. There's a canvas. You got to get that in place if you want to draw the art of Krishna Leela. Hmm? So, so the first thing I told her, if you want to know the right answer, you've got to know that the right answer is what does the scripture say about it. Hmm? That's the right answer in general. Then if somebody's going to tell you what the scripture says about it, that point, they have to be able, they have to have some command of it. Hmm? Um, And that means that it doesn't appear in a vacuum. The teaching doesn't appear in a vacuum. That's why we have what we call a guru parampara. One after another, one after another. So the teaching doesn't appear in a vacuum. And a vacuum means it's disconnected from its past. Hmm? It just happened, is what I mean when I say a vacuum. It's kind of disconnected from the past. And the whole succession and all the teachings and so forth. And sometimes, so sometimes people take the part of trying to give the answer, the comprehensive answer, and their, their wellspring of scriptural uh, resource is limited to a particular teacher explanation of it within time, hmm? particular time. Sometimes, like my Guru Maharaj, he said to us once or twice that if you want to know the truth, you have to go through me. Don't jump over me. Listen to what I'm saying. So then sometimes people will imp- imp- use this statement to say, 
that we should only hear from, let's say, let's say for example, let's say only from Prabhupada. Hmm? We shouldn't jump over him. Meanwhile, as I said, when I was reading his books, I realized he, he's, he's, he's quoting Jiva Goswami, Rupa Goswami, this one, that one. Sometimes Bhakti Siddhanta too, but which was, who was his guru. Is he jumping over them? Is he telling us something to, not to do that he's doing himself? Or is there a place for being connected to all these persons and being able to draw from the whole thing and give a comprehensive answer? This is required. Hmm. If we just take the teachings in a vacuum, then it, it, it appeared here, it's, and it's for all time in the future, then it's a, it's a huge problem. You can't get the right answer out of that. Hmm. You can't take, for example, the writings of a Purvacharya and think that they'll apply in every way, in detail, for all times. In essence, they will. So, anyway, you need to, the right answer is what the scripture says. In order to get what the scripture says about it, you need to hear from somebody that Shabde Pare, Chanishnatam, they have, they're way, well acquainted with the whole argument. Like, you take Prabhupada's books, for example. I mean, I, I read them quite a few times. Uh, they used to say that, that I was the most well-read when I was young in, in reading Prabhupada's books. That's all we did. We just read them and sold them, read them and sold them. That's, that's all we did, some of us. So, um, Anyway, I have some, have some acquaintance with it. Um, but reading them and then reading, going to the source books where, that he was reading when he was writing, you can see he's got an abbreviated argument here. He's selling over here. He's flying around the world, you know, a dozen times and managing and so forth. And dictating in a phone at night and, and then the disciples are transcribing it and so he's drawing from all the commentaries and if you read the commentaries then you see oh he's making this argument and, this, and you can have a chance to get a more complete understanding of everything that he's saying by seeing it in context and he's introducing you to that when you get initiated by the guru you get actually you get access to all the the previous acharyas. That's what you're getting initiated into, a whole system. Hmm? And, of course, what would Prabhupada say now? That's answered by what we call the Guru Parampara, about anything. That's the whole idea. Hmm? You don't have to ask, what would he say? The answer is, in Guru Parampara, those who represent him properly, they give you the answer. Hmm? That's where it comes from. <laughs> What would Prabhupada say? I don't know about that. Talk to her. She knows. She's a guru. <laughs> She's an acharya. So, so this is this is a good piece of little piece of advice. If you want to get the right answer, first of all, what is the right answer? It comes from scripture, and how? And then it's from someone who knows it comprehensively, not partially. And um, this is the business of the teacher to remove the doubts. Just remove the doubts. Person has to have some knowledge. Teacher. Important point. What else? Long time. Is there some prashad for everybody? Yes. Okay, nice to sit with you all. Appreciate it very much. We'll carry on for a couple of days. Sri Sri Gornatananda Ki Jai. Sri Sri Gornatananda Ki Jai. Dauji Gopal Ki Jai. Guru Vashna Guru Parampara Ki Jai, Guru Bhakti Vrinda Ki Jai, Guru Premanande.